Good morning. Am I on? I guess I'm on. Okay. Oh. <laughs> the scripture that Josh read was is one of my favorites. Um, and I think it's something that God often repeats in his message to us in various ways that he has spoken to his people over, over the years. Um, I just want to read it again. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And in this passage, God mentions the things, um, three things that most of us value quite a bit, um, and that is our own worldly wisdom, our own physical strength, and our own wealth. And, you know, I think of worldly wisdom, I, I think about that in terms of maybe academic wisdom or maybe professional wisdom, um, but we really admire that. And, but God tells us not to boast about those things. Rather, he tells us to boast that we know and understand the Lord. Now, the Lord is not denigrating uh, wisdom or strength or wealth, but I think he's, trying to, he's putting it in the proper perspective for us. And then the passage goes on and mentions what we should know about God, that he exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. And the Lord uh, practices these things in his own conduct. He exercises uh, these things as he rules and guides the universe. Then he adds in that passage, for I delight in these things. So the Lord not only does these things in his own personal conduct, but he delights in them. Do you think he delights only in carrying these things out? Or do you think he delights in these being, things being carried out by us, by his people, uh, by his children? Does he delight when we do it? And I think we know the answer to that question. The Lord wants us to also be practicing loving kindness, justice, and righteousness because they reflect him. Those things glorify him. But this, this creates a problem for us because the world we live in actually worships worldly wisdom, might, strength, and wealth. And we are attracted to those things as well. Um, but we need to, and let's make every effort to possess the qualities that the Lord delights in so that he will actually delight in us doesn't it make sense that if we practice doing the things that, that God delights in, 
doesn't it make sense, doesn't it follow that he will then be able to delight in us because of the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves, doing the things that he delights in? Do you remember how God uh, referred to Job in the first chapter of Job? God was bragging about Job. In, in verse 8, it sa- he says, the Lord, it says, The Lord says to Satan, said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, have you ever considered that God could brag about you in such terms? Could he be saying to Satan, look at Derek, my servant? You know, could he be saying to Josh, look at Josh, or to Satan about Josh, um, or Diane, or Becky, my servant? They're blameless. Have we ever thought of ourselves in such terms that God would refer to us as evidence of his wisdom and what he's doing in us, because we should. Because God is aware of what you do every moment. He gives us his spirit to help us do, he gives us his spirit to help us want to do his will and to help us actually do it. And that's taught in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. God wants to help us, and he does help us. And we should be conscious of God wanting to brag about us and to um, point us out. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms that the wisdom of God is made known to these heavenly beings through the church. We are being observed by angels, by good and bad angels. And through the work that God is doing through us, God is demonstrating his wisdom. And it's my hope that we're making God look good, that we are providing evidence that he is showing his evidence of wisdom by redeeming us, by bringing us into his church, making us his people. So now let's just think a little bit about righteousness. It is doing right. It is thinking right. It helps for us to look at things, try to look at things the way God looks at them, uh, to, to know what's right. And I want us to consider what God said about Jeremiah Um, In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he said to Jeremiah, now now this is what it says in Jeremiah, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God had a purpose for Jeremiah's life before he was born. He had a plan for his life before, his bo- before he was born. If Jeremiah's parents had decided to end Jeremiah's life before he was born, they would have been frustrating God's plan for his life. God is the giver of life, 
and in his sovereign, and it, it is his sovereign right to be the one who decides when life should end. Now, yes, Jeremiah was, he had a special appointment. He was specially appointed to be a prophet of God to nations and to kings. Um, so the purpose that God had for Jeremiah was tremendous. It was great. But do you suppose that any human life, is there any boy or girl still unborn that does not have a purpose? I think he does. I think he has a purpose. And I believe every person has a purpose. You know, their life may be short, it may be very short, or it may be very long, but God has a purpose for their lives. Now, people may, be, they may reject God's purpose for their life, um, or other people may take it upon themselves to frustrate God's plan for other people. But God gives us the freedom to choose. Uh, but God is not pleased when we overstep our bounds, uh, the bounds of our authority, and take a life or destroy life. God alone holds and owns each of our lives. In, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So God has a plan. God has an intention um, for our lives. And God may not plan for us to be uh, people who are going to be presidents or senators or generals. But rest assured, he has a plan and a purpose for your life and every life. And we need to remember, God cares about every single detail of his creation. And most of all, he cares about people. Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29 through 31, he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus, God, is concerned about us as individuals. He's aware of us as individuals, and he has expectations of us as individuals. If we live, if we think righteously like God, we're going to value every human life. And you know what? God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love one group better than another. In Acts chapter 10, 34 and 35, we have the apostle Peter saying, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter had been taught his whole life that Gentiles were unclean and that as a Jew, he should not associate with Gentiles. Previously, he would never go into a Gentile's home or eat with a Gentile. But God taught Peter not to call anything unclean that the Lord has called clean. That was a lesson that Peter continued to struggle with. 
even after this point that we talked about in Acts, and we in our society struggle with it as well. Can we get an amen for that? We struggle with that in our society. We live in a racist society. We, have, we live in a society where people have all sorts of preconceived ideas about whole groups of people that we don't even know. We have seen evidence in just the last week or so here in J-Town. Have we not? We've seen it here in J-Town in its most violent And I can just feel my emotions when I'm thinking about this. Um, when Gregory Allen Bush could not get into a predominantly black church right up the road, a mile from here, he couldn't get in, thankfully. But he went to, a Kro to the Kroger and killed two black people, Maurice Stollard and Vicki Lee Jones were shot simply because they were black. And they were just at a place, I don't know if it's a wrong place, the wrong time, or it's a place where to have been, right? To shop. They were just shopping for groceries. And it was just so sad. I, I, after that shooting, I uh, had, there was an interview of a couple who saw Miss um, Jones right before she was shot. And she was outside of Kroger, and she was on the phone, and she was saying, there's shooting going on, and all I want to do is get home. All I want to do is get home. And the shooter came up and shot her. Mr. Stollard was shot in front of his 12-year-old grandson. And then two days later, in Pittsburgh, 11, uh, Robert Bowers killed 11 Jewish people. They were killed because they were Jewish. That was it. They were Jewish. These were all people who were made in the image of God. And they had the right to continue. To continue to fulfill the purpose for which God gave them life. They, they had that right. They had the right to continue to, to fulfill the purpose for which God gave them life. And it, it is amazing to me that people could be so full of fear and misunderstanding that they blame the problems of our society in our world, on certain groups of people, whether it be black people, or Jewish people, or immigrants, for immigrants from Latin America, yet people, especially our politicians, use these false beliefs to their own advantage, with the result of justifying fearing mistreating, and in the most extreme cases, murdering these people. Yet, 
this fearfulness and misunderstanding drives the thinking of even well-meaning people. And we as Christians need to resist this kind of thinking. We as Christians need to resist this type of thinking. I want to read a passage from Zechariah. Seven verses eight through ten. It says, And the word of the Lord came to came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress, do not oppress the widow. I've gone over this sermon a couple of times and this never happened before, but I feel it. Do not do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. It sounds just like the passage from Jeremiah. God tells us over and over again how to be and how to live. When we examine the scripture, we know that God cares about how we treat each other. But he also cares how we treat those in a weaker position than us. In this example, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. I understand that we need to enforce our laws. I understand that we need to enforce our laws. But I believe that to make us believe that we are soon going to be under attack by an invading force is wrong. It is just not true. Most of these people are fleeing dangers that we cannot imagine. They are trying to give their children and families a chance to live. Can't we empathize with these people? Can't we empathize with these people? Can't we understand their desperation? Suppose we see someone in the store who looks like an immigrant. Are we going to be afraid of them? Are we, uh, suppose they need help. Maybe they need directions. Maybe they need something. Are we going to be afraid to help them? The, the person might be a citizen. That person might be a legal resident. Or maybe they're an illegal, illegal uh, immigrant. But are we going to mistreat that person? I hope we won't. I hope we should not harden our hearts against anyone. God cares about how we behave. God cares about how nations behave. And continuing in that passage in Zechariah, let me read what it says, continuing on verse uh, 11 through 14. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and they stopped their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called... They did not listen. So when they called, I, will not, I would not listen. Did you catch that? He, they didn't listen to him, so he didn't listen to them. 
when, he, when they were praying to him. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. The, these, this people did not want to hear the message that God was sending through Zechariah. They, they hardened their hearts. Uh, it is my hope that we will not harden our hearts to God's message nor to those around us that may be just a little different from us. Now, I'm going to tell you a, a short story. Um, in 1987, my parents um, built, a, built a house in a small town in Texas, and they retired there. They're from Texas. They worked all their years in the north. They came back after they retired. So since that time, around 1987, uh, we would take my family. We would go back and visit my parents. And my parents were Methodist, so we didn't usually go to their church um, services, but there was, a, there was a congregation of the church just a few blocks from my parents' home. So we would usually visit that little congregation of the Church of Christ. Now, the people were not overly friendly, um, but they were okay. They were okay. Um, but one year, something really strange happened. It was just a, a very surreal experience. One day, we came in, and sat down on one side of the altar. It was just like two sides, an aisle in the middle. And we sat down on one side of the auditorium. And what happened was that gradually the people that were already seated on that side, one by one, got up and went to the other side. That was such a, a weird experience. I don't, I don't remember. We didn't say anything about it um, to them or they to us or anything. All I remember is that there was one little voice, it may have been the voice of a child, that said, why is everyone on this side? That was all that was said. Let me ask you, do you think we went back to that congregation? That would be the normal response, but we did. When we, when we went back and visited my parents subsequent years, we went back there. Um, and that never happened again. That experience did not take place again. Now, I don't, I don't think that they were maybe any more friendly, um, but that was the only time we experienced that situation. Um, maybe they weren't comfortable with us. Um, I don't know. But this year, 2018, uh, my mother no longer lives there. My father has passed away. But we went back to that town to celebrate my mother's family's 110th um, family reunion. They've been doing that for 110 years. Um, so we went back. And we decided that we would visit that little church again. And what kind of reception do you think we received this year? Better, maybe? Well, I'll tell you this. 
we didn't receive any reception at all. We didn't receive any reception at all because they were gone. They were no longer there. We had looked up their website on Saturday night just to make sure, you know, check out the, the times of services and um, just to make sure that we knew where they were and we could get there in, at the right time. But we couldn't find their website. The, the website was gone. So we drove over there just to see on Saturday night, just to see what was going on. And there was another group there. It wasn't us, okay? It wasn't us. And I think, I don't know what happened to them, okay? We don't know why they closed their doors. But I do know this. That God wants his people to love all people, to reach out and be a blessing to all people, to be a blessing to the people in their community. And I know that God has a limit on his patience. So we need to pay attention. We need to take heart. They were gone. Another group had replaced them. Now, I believe Waterson Trail to be a welcoming place. Um, I was just thinking about the trunk retreat where we had all those people who came through and we were greeting them and being so kind to them. So I know Waterson Trail is very welcoming and wants to love people. But I tell you this, we live in a racist society, a society that embraces sin, that embraces lying and every kind of evil. It is full of violence. And over the past few years, we have seen how sexual abuse pervades all aspects of our society. Hateful attitudes are rampant in our political discourse. Our political leaders are failing us. We in the church need to be ready and willing to confront the sins we see within our, within our circle of influence. Not in a mean way, but in an honest and loving way, showing people that God is not a respecter of persons. That's, a, that's where we preserve our society. That's where we help our society. Now we all, we have our own group of people that we're most comfortable with. And we are more, and this is a hard truth, but we're more accepting, more forgiving, and more patient towards those people that are in our group. If they're in our group, we can tolerate them more, we forgive more, we're more patient. We don't treat people, those who are outside our group as well. They don't get the same um, benefit of the doubt. And that's, sad. that's a sad fact, I believe, of human nature. But I tell you this, Jesus did not die to pay for the sins of the whole world so we could just do what comes naturally. Jesus didn't die for that. But rather, we should, die, we should remember that Jesus died so that we can have the hope that one day we can say this passage, uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 19, that we can actually say this to everyone we meet. You are no longer, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 starting. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's house, household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is exactly what God is doing with us here. He's building all of us from wherever we've come from to be a holy temple where his spirit can dwell. He is building us together with the hope that we bring in as many souls as possible, no matter where they come from. And that's what we want for all people. Um, if you are here and you want to be baptized, you want to be a part of this family of God, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to stand in a moment. We want you to come down. And when we stand and sing, um, but we're also people who believe in forgiveness and in prayer. And if you need forgiveness, if you need the prayers of the church, I ask you to come down also as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>